welcome to the Historical Paranormal, or welcome back to the Historical Paranormal podcast. Um, we took a little hiatus because work's been crazy sauce. So I am back with a, such a fun topic. Obviously, if you clicked on the, t- the podcast, then you know that we are discussing the New England Vampire Panic, which is one of the most interesting stories. Um, that I've heard, especially coming out of this time period. I think, honestly, the 19th century is just so interesting in and of itself. I mean, the world was um, changing and developing and industry was really booming. So there was more of a middle class. And whenever there's more of a middle class, there's more of a, um, a culture and society for everyone. So it's just more fun in general. I think they were just starting to mass produce stuff too. So in general... 19th century is just one of my absolute favorite periods, but this story does have, just for those who are sensitive, does have um, exhumation and desecration of corpses, public desecration of corpses, some somewhat. So um, if you're sensitive to that, um, you know, don't listen. And if you aren't, well, buckle up, buttercups, because it's about to get gross. So I'm going to start this off by saying... Tuberculosis is a hell of a disease. And before we get into why people acted the way they did during this panic, let's set the scene a little and just discuss the common factors that would have contributed to it. So tuberculosis is a lung disease caused by microbacterium tuberculosis, which by the way, tuberculosis, really fun to say. It's terrible, horrible thing, but it's really fun to say. Anyway, Let's move on. It is incredibly contagious, which is why when one person in a family got it, usually the whole family did. It's spread through aerosol droplets when someone coughs, sneezes, sings, talks, or spits. So if one infected person sneezes, they release about 40,000 droplets of infected spit. Each one of the droplets could infect another person. The symptoms included a chronic cough, usually coughing up blood. And in films, that's generally how tuberculosis is um, portrayed, is someone's coughing up blood all of a sudden. There's a few diseases, actually, that they show someone coughing up blood, and it's like, oh my god, it's the death knell. They're coughing up blood. Anyway, um, the people who would suffer from this disease also would get fever, have weight loss, night sweats, um, occasional hallucinations, and just in general, really awful symptoms that um, could just get anybody who took care of them sick as well. So all of that is just, it's an easy way for the disease to spread with the chronic cough and um, sweating and the blood and everything like that. So due to these symptoms, patients usually have the appearance of being consumed, which is why it was commonly known as consumption. So if you hear that around, especially if you read a lot of 19th century literature, or you're just getting into that, When consumption is mentioned, it's tuberculosis, something I did not know until, I don't know, like, I want to say like 10 years ago, because I just never paid attention, and I had been reading that for quite some time, so Um, I didn't put that together either, so consumption equals tuberculosis. (laughs) So, I don't know why I'm laughing, I really don't, it's not funny. Moving on, this disease was and still is very, very deadly, In 2017, there were 10 million cases of active TB, and they resulted in 1.6 million deaths. The cases are mostly found in developing countries, but that's not exclusive. The U.S. still sees active cases, especially with more and more patients, more and more parents, sorry, not patients, choosing not to vaccinate. 
So that has definitely contributed to more cases of TB. In the 19th century, however, it was seen as a romantic disease, believe it or not. The sufferers were depicted in periodicals as being more sensitive. It was slow moving, so people also saw it as a good death because they could get their affairs in order. And I mean, that makes sense. I think anybody wants to have a chance to tell the people that they love that they love them and make sure that they have a will. Um, I understand that, especially when there were just so many ways to die back then, and they were generally pretty awful. So maybe uh, tuberculosis seemed like, eh, not that bad. Maybe, I don't know. It still sounds really terrible. Um, The famous poet, Lord Byron wrote that he would like to die of consumption, which made this disease associated with artists and inspired women to make their makeup more pale so that they could have the appearance of consumption. And I mean, how infuriating must that have been for the people? Because it generally would strike in poor areas or uh, lower income areas. So imagine being somebody who was seeing their family and friends affected by tuberculosis And then, like, they're walking down the street seeing these fashionable women doing their makeup to resemble their dying friends and family, if not them themselves, or they themselves. So I can't even imagine how that must have been. So it also represented, or the newspapers at the time, represented victims of tuberculosis as having more spiritual purity and a finite amount of time in which to live and experience things. But, like, to be fair, it's not necessarily a disease you can go around experiencing things with. You're not going to go skydiving with tuberculosis since it predominantly affects the lungs. But still, they were seen as having more, I think one website described it as having more temporal wealth. Um, So that is another thing. They saw them as just more pure beings because they were suffering from this. Um, It was also memorialized in the opera's La Boheme and La Traviata, the novel Les Miserables as well. You might also remember it from the film Moulin Rouge. Uh, Nicole Kidman's character was suffering and ultimately, I believe, died of consumption. Despite, though, its romantic visuals among the affluent, like I said before, it was the poor that mostly suffered from this disease. One thing that I read that really gave me pause because... It just made me so sad is that many of the medical professionals who were trying to treat the um, disease did not know how to, for one thing, because again, they didn't know much about it. They didn't know it was a bacterial disease, so they didn't know how to prevent it either. Um, But what they did do was blame the poor for spreading it, one, and then just having it in general. They faulted them for conditions that they couldn't exactly help. Um, such as living in tenements um, and in in the country, maybe small ramshackle houses that they, they had built themselves. In New England, the outbreak of tuberculosis was swift and widespread. It began in the early 1800s, and at its peak, it would claim 7 out of 10 New Englanders when they were in concentrated areas. And it mostly affected those in Rhode Island, Connecticut, Vermont, and other areas. And like I said, we know now that the, the disease is bacterial or the cause is bacterial, but at the time, they just didn't know how it was spread. So the fear was not only tremendous, it was widespread. So all of this led to just extremely wild speculation, especially in the smaller towns, as to why a whole family would die of this disease. 
at times like these, people tend to look for an explanation. It's a natural human reaction. When there are bumps in the night, it makes us feel more in control to think it's the pipes or the air conditioner, or even a ghost for that matter, as long as we can explain it. We create these situations and explanations in our head until we drift off to sleep, usually not remembering the sounds that we were kind of freaking out about in the morning. Superstition and fear thrives in these environments. And in New England, it took a really, really nasty turn. So let's get into that. In Exeter, Rhode Island, a particularly bad outbreak of the disease had the town people worried. I keep wanting to say Maria, but it's Mary. Mary Eliza Brown, mother of three and wife to George Brown, died of consumption in 1886. In that same year, her oldest daughter, Mary Olive Brown, also died of the disease. And I'm guessing that Mary Olive took care of her mother, Mary Eliza, when she got sick. And the younger kids, Mercy and Edwin, went about their business doing whatever it is that they did. And of course, George Brown probably had to go out. I believe they lived um, on a farm, so he probably had to go out and farm the land. So... After this, nobody else gets sick for a little while, for about six years. So, of course, you wouldn't think, like, oh, it's contagious because the mother and the daughter got it, but nobody else in the house did. So, six years go by, and they think, we're through this, this is awful, it's a catastrophic loss, but we're done. Now we can start to rebuild our lives without um, our mother and our older sister. So... In 1891, unfortunately, that came to an end. Edwin came down with tuberculosis. Now, he was afforded the ability, because I think they'd experienced enough loss, to where they wanted to send Edwin to a treatment center. And these existed all over the country, um, and they were kind of the nicer alternative, because others who were infected, if their families didn't have the money to send them to a treatment center, they would be placed in sanitariums to get better. And they weren't treated like mentally ill patients at all. The common treatment at the time was to lay outside and take some tonics, maybe, but to lay outside and just get some sun and some air because they they knew if people were coughing that it had something to do with the lungs. But the only thing they could think of is let's get them in fresh air and clean air. And Colorado Springs was known to have the cleanest air. I think it's literally still known for that. I love Colorado Springs. It's so beautiful there. Anyway, um, that's why there would have been a treatment center there. It had a drier climate. Um, And to me, judging by how I lost my breath, like immediately just walking 10 steps down the road in Colorado Springs, the altitude is extremely high. So maybe that did something to help it. It seems like it wouldn't, but maybe it did. Who knows? But Colorado Springs is a very popular treatment center for tuberculosis. And just as a little side note, the area on Southton Road in San Antonio, Texas, that people call the asylum was not an asylum. Although I get why it may have gotten that reputation because there was a tuberculosis treatment center that was located on that property. Now, later on, it became a home for the aged. And then after that, I want to say in 1940, 1941, it became the Bear County Boys Home for wayward boys, basically. So if they had gotten in trouble with the law, especially, or if they're just being bad kids in school and 
nothing would stop them. They would be placed in the Bear County Boys Home, which I believe um, operated up until 1996. But that is what they call the San Antonio Asylum. And I believe there might be another one that was an actual mental health facility. Um, but it was not the one on Southton Road. And it is heavily guarded. People do say it's very haunted. And that is very possible. But it's heavily guarded by the Sheriff's Department. So those of you in San Antonio who are like, oh my gosh, it's close to Halloween. I haven't been to the San Antonio Asylum. We should go. Don't. You will get arrested on site. If you are caught there, you will be arrested. Don't do it. It's just not a great idea. Let's not get arrested. And there is my little PSA to you guys. So nobody says that I'm telling anyone to go see this place. I've gotten way off topic, but I just thought that was interesting since a lot of my listeners are in San Antonio and Austin. And I mean, that's, I've heard about the asylum for years, so I thought I'd put that little rumor to rest. All right. So while Edwin went to Colorado Springs to get better, of course, before he went, he was still sick and his sister Mercy took care of him. So Mercy contracted the disease while her brother was away, or at least started to show symptoms of the disease. And she quickly died. It took her super fast. And Edwin, after hearing about his sister's death, he was feeling well enough at this point to travel back to Rhode Island to be with his father. He actually was feeling nearly cured at the time of it, to be able to travel like that at such a long distance. He was feeling very good. But after being home for a few weeks, his health quickly declined. And at this point, George Brown was desperate. Edwin was his last remaining child, um, his only son, and he would do anything to help him survive. And the townspeople, after seeing the family go through so much heartbreak already, decided to pitch in and help their neighbor by taking turns cooking and assisting George with his daily work. Just kidding. They said that his dead wife or dead daughters were vampires feeding on Edwin. And just to be clear here, They would not have used the word vampire, even though the outsider newspapers did and a lot of other people did at the time. It was not a term that they had used in that community in Rhode Island. Um, But it's a term I'll continue to use for just ease of understanding. Now, the vampire stuff. This was a commonly held superstition in small New England towns, such as Exeter. If multiple family members died in close proximity, the undead were said to be the perpetrators. The townspeople began really talking to him in earnest about his dead relatives feeding off Edwin and draining what little strength and life he had left because George wasn't really totally convinced when they told him that. And I mean, imagine being in his his shoes and someone's like, actually, I think it's your other dead family members that are trying to kill your living family member because it really doesn't explain what happened to his wife and who fed off of her. And then what happened to Edwin first getting sick, like who fed off of Edwin first? There's just a lot here that just a little bit of questioning could have stopped all the rest of the events from happening, but it didn't. So let's just keep going. Um, They convinced him to exhume the bodies of his wife and then both of his daughters. A doctor came along with them at George's request so that the mayhem really couldn't get too out of hand. I mean, it had already gotten out of hand. If we're digging up dead people saying they're vampires, it's already gotten out of hand, Um, but it's about to get way worse. So when the bodies of Mary, his wife, and Mary Olive, his oldest daughter, were exhumed, they showed the appropriate amount of decomposition having died six years earlier. In other words, they were skeletons. 
Marcy, however, had died in January, nine weeks prior to this. This happened in March. So in January, of course, it was so cold that they couldn't really dig a grave for her at that point because the ground was frozen. So she was actually interred in an above-ground crypt. Um, So it was kind of easy. They didn't really exhume her necessarily. It was kind of easy to find her. But we know that freezing temperatures perfectly preserve the deceased to the point of making them just appear asleep sometimes. Um, For those of you who are familiar with Otzi the Iceman, that is what happened to him. If you're not, look it up. I think it's O-T... Z-I is the spelling, but he was so preserved. I think he had died 2,000 years before they found him, and he was so preserved that you could still see the tattoos on his skin. It was It's really interesting. Look him up if you haven't. So we know that ice and freezing temperatures perfectly preserve people, but 19th century New England townsfolk didn't know that. So they argued that because Mercy showed little to no decomposition, that they had to cut into her heart and liver to prove that she was not a vampire. Oh, that she was, either way. Um, They ended up cutting her heart out. And they found liquid blood in her heart. They also did this to her liver. So they cut her her heart and liver, dissected them, and found liquid blood. Uh, So it was determined that Mercy was draining the life out of her brother Edwin. The doctor present suggested that this was not totally out of the ordinary to find liquid blood in someone so well-preserved. And so the townspeople were like, okay, you know what? Let's chill. Let's all soak this in. Let's reinter Mercy and we'll call it a day. Just kidding. Again, as the superstition dictated for that area of Rhode Island, the next step after ignoring the medical professional's opinion after that part, was to cut out her heart and liver entirely and cremate them. So at this point, we've got exhumation, corpse desecration, and now organ cremation. That's enough, right? They totally stopped there, right? They absolutely did not. So methods of solving this vampire problem all over New England, because again, it was not just in Exeter, sometimes involved just turning the body over, um, sometimes it was cutting off the head. Um, there were just a lot of other things that they could have done. But, you know, they went the whole organ cremation route, which was, it was a route. Um, I can't even imagine what George Brown was going through at this point as well. We have to keep in mind, and even though this is something I'm looking at and we're looking at now, And saying, wow, that's gross. I can't believe they did that. They could have just totally not done that. That's just, it goes to show how strong the fear of this virus truly was. And how far someone will go not to lose a child. Because as grotesque as this sounds, if that's your last child and someone has convinced you beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is what's happening, wouldn't you do anything to save that child? So after cremating Mercy's heart and liver, the townspeople then took the ashes and mixed them with water into a tonic and fed it to Edwin. They took it a much more gruesome step further than anyone else in this vampire panic had done. 
It was the vampire panic at the disco. I had to do it. I couldn't, I couldn't let it get, sorry. All right. They did this not only to cure Edwin's sickness, but they also wanted to stop Mercy from feeding on anyone else because it was possible to them that that would happen. Edwin, unfortunately, passed away two months after this. So all of that was for nothing, just aggravating. Um, Mercy was reburied in the cemetery of the Baptist Church in Exeter, where her grave actually can be found today, and there are a lot of pictures of it. She was, in a way, even though she passed away, immortalized. H.P. Lovecraft mentioned her story in his novelette, The Shunned House, and it's even said that Bram Stoker based his ill-fated but very romantic character, Lucy Westenra, on Mercy Brown. And as the word panic suggests, Mercy was not the only person who was exhumed for being a possible vampire. People as far back as 1793 exhumed deceased family members to uncover the culprit of their living loved one's misery. Fred, one of the most more famous cases, and I wanted to include it because it was weird, was the case of Frederick Ransom. He was a student who passed away from tuberculosis when he was at Dartmouth College. And I say it's weird because he was not poor. He was from a very well-to-do family, and usually these things took place in small towns where the majority of the population was uneducated, but his family was fairly well-to-do, and they usually did not fall victim to these mass panics. But in 1817, when Frederick died, his father decided to take a very proactive approach to tuberculosis. Instead of waiting to see if any of his other family members got sick, he fell victim to the panic and exhumed Frederick without even a hint of a cough from any of his family. He burned his heart on a blacksmith's forge with hundreds of onlookers attending. So, that happened. And I, after reading that, I was kind of speechless, so I really have no commentary on that because that is just awful and it takes it to a whole new level to have onlookers there and I wonder if he held some kind of place of power in his town I don't know to where he would have to have onlookers watch I would like to know more about that and I wonder if I dig if I can find any more since it was kind of a secondary or not even secondary story um you know I didn't do a lot of research into the Frederick Ransom story but I think I might because I mean why have hundreds of people looking or watching you burn the heart of your son. Why? Other than you want to dispel this rumor because maybe somebody else would have done it. I don't know. That does sound really um, possible, but who knows? So back to Mercy. After Mercy's exhumation, superstitions seemed to subside, but the reputation really didn't. Rule Rhode Island, I can never say rule, like who created that word? What is the etymology on that? Because it's so hard to say and I, I... Stumble on it every time. Rural Rhode Island residents moving into other states, particularly Connecticut, were really looked down upon as being backwoods because of this story. And they were seen as extremely uneducated, um, especially when most of Connecticut, eastern Connecticut, did fall prey to this panic. But most of Connecticut did not. And they themselves were more educated. So hearing about these backwoods Rhode Island corpse burning folks moving into their state probably wasn't very um desirable for them <laughs> but that is the story of the new england vampire panic i hope you enjoyed it 
or at least were entertained by it because it's not a super enjoyable story, I guess. Um, but I would like to make my episodic beg for you guys to please rate and review my podcast. Let me know what you think about it and follow my Instagram. We're at his, um, historical paranormal at historical paranormal. I'll be posting pictures of, I think there's a newspaper clipping I can post. Um, and that's pretty much it. Cause of course it took place at a time in an area where photography was not as readily available as it was even in the larger cities. So I'll post those things, but follow me, review me, rate me. I truly appreciate it. And if you have any weird stories that you'd love to hear about, let me know, comment on the picture, um, send me a DM, let me know what you'd like to hear about because I am always into researching new stories. I have quite a few that we're going to talk about, but let me know. I'm super excited about it. Thank you so much for listening. And as always have a great week.